morning, everyone, and uh, thanks, Martin. Fanula, maybe you could start by talking, talking to us about the two roles you have in Google, so they're, they're quite distinct roles, and, and how you manage and juggle those. Sure. Good morning, everyone. Um, lovely to be here. Um, so, yeah, uh, in my uh, day job, I manage uh, uh, a large part of the ads business uh, for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, so that's, you know, obviously our core business um, uh, for Google. Um, and so that is working with uh, small and medium-sized businesses all over Europe, Middle East, and Africa, really just to get them, you know, to some extent set up online, but also, you know, trying to help them improve their presence online and really achieve their business goals online. And that's across a variety of different sectors. And that's all from here in Dublin. So it's a team, an international team um, based out of Dublin. And so that team in and of itself um, will probably get a thousand people next year. Wow. And it's a business that grown together with Shane in the audience today. Uh, over the past seven years, we started with 200 people. Um, so it's been a phenomenal growth story. And uh, yeah, it continues to be uh, continues to be a growth story, which I think is important. Um, and then three years ago, um, I took on the head of Google Ireland role, which is a very different role. Um, it uh, really is taking responsibility for um, all of you know Google's employees in Ireland, uh, our presence in Ireland, um, you know, uh, policy, you know, working with government, working uh, with uh, working with the community. Um, really, I suppose, thinking about how Google and Ireland stays relevant for Google Inc. You know, so one of the things going on over in the West Coast, what, you know, how is this double position to make sure that we're getting the right level of investment? Um, then how do we make sure that we are good for the computers who work in Ireland? So that's a lot about um, culture and um, uh, making sure that um, we look at things like well-being and... Uh, you know that it is, you know, that stacks up with the rest of the Google sites globally is a great place to work. Um, and then lastly, that we're good for Ireland, right? So the Dublin leadership team, um, we, you know, we uh, we are a team of people who represent all of the functions in the Dublin site. And, and um, there's a few things that make a Dublin site stand out. It's uh, one of the largest sites globally for Google. Um, but I think the two things that make it stand out is it's one of the most culturally diverse sites. We have 70 nationalities, 75 languages spoken. But we also have a huge diversity of functions. In addition to sales, we have engineering, um, we have uh, legal, we have people operations, we have cloud, we have trust and safety. So we have a wide variety of functions. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a big presence here. Uh, so we want to make sure uh, that, you know, the fact that Google is here obviously benefits Google as a company. We want to make sure it also benefits Ireland to, you know, uh, when we think about the community as well, our local community, when we think about outreach and things like that. So that role is really, you know, falls into those three areas, being, you know, relevant for Google over in the West Coast, being a good place to work for our Googlers, and then thinking about how we're so, good so, so it's fair to say you've a lot going on then? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And in terms of, of, of Google and Alphabet, I mean, a lot, a lot of people may understand or may not quite get uh, fully grasp the, the structure within the organization. So you have Google, which is the, the, the main ads search business, which yeah. is the, the income driver, as I understand it, for the rest of the businesses. But then within <laughs> Google itself, you now have cloud services and other non-ad related businesses. And then in the wider context, Alphabet, which is where you you know have driverless cars and nests. Yeah. So how does that all... In, in Ireland, is there any elements of Alphabet here, or is it just all Google? It's mostly Google. Yeah, it's mostly Google. Um, if, if I think about you know our presence here, 
um, was 70% a sales site, and that, you know, over the years has been mostly advertising, but we have sales teams looking after publishers, app developers, and then more recently over the past few years, our cloud sales teams have, uh, have been increasing in size. Um, and we do have an engineering function, that's our site reliability function, we have data centers, and network operation centers as well. So we've got 600 engineers as well, um, and it's one of the largest site reliability engineering sites around the world. That engineering function is about kind of keeping Google's corporate infrastructure up and running and some of its consumer-facing infrastructure as well. So literally this kind of Gmail and calendar work when you go to use them, but equally that our corporate infrastructure works and that's kind of the backbone of our, of our cloud. Uh, services as well, so it is mostly it is mostly that. Um, it's mostly you know footprint is mostly focused on um, on Google, but you know I think we we're always looking for opportunities. You know when we think about the other bets as well, just to think about how Ireland um, can be and Dublin can be. Relevant. So what you're doing is you're making all the money over here to send it to California so they can figure out how to. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a very real aspect of that. Is you know the the ads business is where we make the money, yeah. and then we invest hugely. In um, in big bets and in moonshots, you know. So I think some of the bigger bets are are the cloud business and YouTube and hardware, um, and then some of the moonshots are I think are some of those things that are a bit further out, like driverless cars or like you know all of those other kind of uh, moonshot ideas where there's a lot of incubation needed, and that I suppose they're aimed at solving some of the world's big problems or using technology to solve some of the world's big problems and. I think Astra Teller was on Bloomberg this week talking about the fact that a lot of that is trying stuff and it fails. Yeah. So yeah, you do need to invest a lot. So if you, with all that's going on in Alphabet at the moment, if you had to say, I'd like to get involved in one project, what what, what might that be? Um, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot we can do from a sustainability point of view. Um, and you know, we've been carbon neutral since 2007 as a company, but I think you know. If, if you think about the broad mission of Google to organize the world's information, you know, over the make it universally accessible and useful, but over the years, you know, underpinning that is how you use technology to solve some of the world's biggest problems. And I think this is one of the world's biggest problems, and um, if not the biggest problem. So I think that's, you know, that's an area that increasingly our graduates coming in, you know, so every year we take on graduates and with each wave of graduates, you kind of get a sense of what's on their minds and sustainability is definitely something that's on their minds and something they're expecting us to do, uh, to, to do something about as a company. So um, I think you're taking the power of what we can do from a technology point of view and trying to point at some of those problems is probably some of the, probably some of the most exciting things we could, we could do as a company. And I've heard you described as a technology optimist. Yes. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I think we hear a lot about um, Technology platforms and they are platforms, and you know they can be polarizing. You know yeah. these days, and I think we see a lot of that. Um, but I suppose what what you see internally though is how technology can help with, say, the consumerization of health, or how it can break down barriers in terms of access to information, um, and really how it can be used used for good. And I suppose technology is a platform like any other platform. It enables you to do things, and you can do good things with it. You can do bad things with it. Um, and uh, I think, you know, when you see the power of something like a machine learning, uh, you know, can help with early diagnosis of cancer and things like that, uh, I think that's one of the most uh, exciting areas. And I know we talk about privacy and obviously we build privacy into our products from, you know, from the get-go, from design. You can't design a product in Google without having a privacy design, privacy design built into it in terms of 
transparency to users and control and ability to delete their data and bring it with them and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but there's also, you know, a, a really nice uh, way that you can use some of that data in aggregate uh, around things like early diagnosis of, of, um, of diseases. And um, so, you know, that's, uh, I think that's, that, that makes me optimistic, right? And I think if I look into the future, what, you know, what technology would I be really interested and excited about would be the, the consumerization of health and how, um, you know, collecting that data in aggregate can help individuals who maybe don't have access to healthcare, you know, maybe spot things earlier and think about how powerful that could be in the developing world. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's one example of it. And uh, I was reading recently a colleague of yours, Ray Kurzweil, who, for people who don't know, is probably the world's leading futurist and director of engineering in Google. And he's been saying that there's a seminal moment approaching in the whole area of world technology that, you know, machines will be able to think humans. Uh, and he's actually put a date on it in 2029, which is quite staggering in the sense that he can put a date on it and it's that close. Um, what do you see as the potential concerns with, you know, AI and nanotech and, and, and you know, even computer brain interface, all those sort of things? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really early days. I mean, if you listen to um, Sundar Pichai, who's our CEO, he's actually very optimistic about um, machine learning and AI because because of the human element in it, right? I mean, um, because it is about, you know, humans working with machines to solve problems that we need to solve. So he's very, um, you know, he, he believes that we'll get to the right outcomes because of the, the human part in that equation. Uh, and so I think it's it's uh, important to remember that we are very early on, um, and that if you look at a lot of the machine learning and how AI is being used at the moment, um, you know it's it's very specific use cases, it's a lot of pattern recognition, etc. Uh, and so I still think we're you know a little bit you know further away from some of these more kind of um, futuristic uh, kind of kind of um, statements. Um, but you know I think you know how how we look at it in. In fact, how we look at it in Google Ireland is, you know, probably looking at every business and understanding how machine learning can help that business because, um, you know, we are sales and operations focused, but increasingly we talk about technical operations and how we build machine learning into a lot of the things that we're doing to speed up processes or to recognize patterns uh, faster. Um, and I suppose what does that allow you to do? Well, that allows you to redeploy your workforce but, you know, to redeploy your workforce, you have to have an agile workforce, right? And you have to have a way of training them. That doesn't mean you pull them into training, you know, for three hours or five hours or an entire way, day or three days. And um, so I think, you know, the way to think about it is, um, you know, to be opportunistic about how machine learning can help make you more efficient in whatever business you're in. But then to think about if that's the case and if we had... We were able to kind of, you know, scrape away a lot of the low value work that we're doing that, that you know, your workforce is potentially doing. Well, then how do you redeploy them? And I think that gets you thinking about, um, you know, skills building and agility and 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 the profile of people you're hiring. That you're not necessarily hiring for one specific skill, but you're hiring for people who can learn, who can who can develop, and um, who can show that agility. And I think we see that across the board. That's, that's definitely something that we're looking for, not just at the leadership level, but lower down as well. Okay. Can I take it back to you? You mentioned culture a while ago uh, and the importance of culture. So as somebody who's leading an organization of, you know, 8,000 people in Ireland, how, how important is culture to you? How do you and how do you create and, and foster it in, in, uh, in Google? Yeah. Culture is, yeah, such, uh, such an important thing. Um, and particularly as we have increased the size of the company over the past few years, we've been really 
um, aware of how you maintain a culture while continuing to hire thousands and thousands of people every year. And so, you know, how do all of these new people coming in know what it means to be googly or know what it, know what Google culture means? Like, what does it actually mean? Um, so, um, it, it is something you need to work at, though. Uh, and my one of my colleagues in Dublin has a great phrase, and he often says that culture is like French bread; you need to bake it every day. Um, and I suppose the point there is that. We can't just expect uh, any work, any any workplace. Uh, but certainly, the way we think about it, we can't just expect the culture to be there. You have to nurture it. You have to feed it. You have to see how it's evolving. You have to be listening for you know what's on people's minds. You have to be um, talking openly as leaders as to like what the culture actually means on a day to day basis, um, and talk about. Um, I mean, a huge part of what we what we talk about is diversity, inclusion, respect. What do they actually mean on a day to day basis? And as soon as you know our our new girls, our new Googlers come through the door, we start that conversation with them. Um, and really, I suppose it's about you know how does a place work? You know, what does it feel like to work here? What happens when the bosses aren't looking? You know, how do people work together? You know, do people really collaborate? Um, what are the principles and values that you use to make decisions? Those kind of things. Um, so yeah, so it's ingrained in, in, in everything, but it needs needs to be worked on. It's not something that just happens. And within that, how would you describe your leadership style? I mean, what what type of what type of leader are you, and and maybe who has inspired you, you know, to become a to become a successful leader? Um, what kind of leader am I? Um, I'm. I'm somebody who uh, is very results-driven, um, and I think over the years I've, I've tried to move away from being very task-driven to being more more people-focused. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I like to have impact. I like to know what's going on in the business. Um, I like detail. You know, uh, my colleagues will all will all attest to that. Um, and you know, but I, I think there's a real value in that. You know, in understanding like what your people are actually doing every day, what your customers are actually saying, and having a really good sense of your operations and your processes and things like that. And so, um, I I get a lot of energy out of that, and then problem solving, um, kind of dynamic problem solving, I suppose, is kind of where I've where I've got. That's what I've called it anyway. So, um, which is really you know. It sounds impressive. It does. It sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of underpinning everything with a really deep knowledge of what's going on, but then trying to extract yourself a little bit out of it so that you're giving people space um, and you're not in the detail all the time, right? Because I think that can be quite suffocating for people um, reporting into you. But but knowing enough to ask the right questions and then seeing where you need to go in and do the problem solving. And so it's kind of that kind of, you know, uh, helicopter helicopter leadership or how the helicopter management I've heard it called before uh, and I've seen other leaders do that very well which is, you know, I suppose what I've learned from this is looking to them I've kind of known that they've known the detail and they can ask me great questions they're giving me the space and trusting me to kind of get on with it, but if there's clearly something that's not working they're, they're not afraid to kind of land the helicopter and kind of say, okay, let's problem solve here and let's get in and let's understand what's going on um, so um, that's definitely something that I try to aspire to. Um, I think you know Philip Schindler, who's our chief business officer, uh, something or somebody I really admire um, because he still understands the job. Right, he still yeah. understands the job as the most junior person in the organization. He can still name check all the tools, um, but you know he's managed to kind of you know move up a few levels and, and put that in context. You, you know, put the work that we're doing in context of what's going on and all you know in terms of global technology trends and, and things like that. 
but will still, you know, be able to have a conversation with somebody at the most junior level within the organization and know know what they do. And I think that's really inspiring um, too, because I think that gives your team a real sense of um, authenticity and credibility, which I think, you know, again, if you think about graduates coming in now, I mean, that's what they want. They want to know that you know what you're talking about and that you have a real sense of what they're doing because that gives them the purpose, right? That they and, and also, you know, you hear the, the, the kind of common view is that people will have maybe 20 different careers in their lives, people, yeah. kids coming out of college now. So how do you, you know, you talked about an agile workforce. How do you create agility and flexibility and resilience within that? Because I, I assume that, you know, every, everybody in the world wants to work for Google uh, and some people will get in, but not everyone will make it, will, will make it right the way through. So how do, you, how, do you, how do you develop people, you know, to, 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 to become resilient and agile? Yeah. It's probably about ninety percent of our time as a as a leadership team is spent on on people, um, uh, and and it's it's um, it's it's an ongoing conversation. I think you know I think about talent at every level within the organisation, and um, we 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 have an ongoing conversation about that talent and how it's kind of you know how how we um, how we assess it. Uh, how we give feedback, how we stretch people. Um, and so uh, there's a few nice concepts that we've adopted over the years, like when we're looking at our leadership team, if we're looking at kind of like the leadership team minus one or the leadership team minus two, um, is to really take time, actually bake it into your into your business rhythms, actually to take time and, and actually review everybody, not from, not from the point of view of what they're achieving now, but from the point of view of what could they achieve in a few years' time. So there's this kind of, they're having, you know, what, what is their current performance, but then what's their future potential? And it's, it's, it's an aligned conversation, but it's a different conversation because you can have somebody, um, you know, where you think they can have huge, huge potential, um, but you need to really talk, discuss with the leadership team about how you're going to get them there. Um, so it has to be an ongoing conversation where you, like, routinely and with great discipline go through, you know, go through your leadership team and think about different styles and introverts versus extroverts, talent that shouts, talent that whispers, you know, sometimes there's great talent in your organization, but they just don't speak up or they don't put their hand up. Um, and so really kind of having that discipline about thinking about everybody's potential, not just what, not just what they're currently doing in their role, but where do we see them? Um, and then making sure that we triangulate that, right? That we get a, a good few views around the table of their style or their impact. Again, because people can, people can have biases or organizations can have biases for a certain style. Um, but if you want to make sure you have diverse styles across your leadership team, really triangulating that and getting as much input into that conversation as possible. And then thinking about the stretch, right? And how to making that a very intentional step. So what would stretch this person? You know, what would be a good thing to get them involved with? Or who could mentor them or partner up with them on a project? And one of our favorite things to do is to kind of take somebody we think is has potential to grow and partner with them, partner them with a senior leader on it's a like specific, a mentor. yeah, on, on a specific business project, um, and 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 with, with the very intentional view of stretching them, um, and 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 saying that to them, you know, that this is a stretch for you, um, and then I think the last thing is you've got to give people feedback, right? I mean, you've got to give people um, feedback about uh, how they're showing up. Um, you know, where we see them currently doing really well, you know, talk about their strengths. I think strengths finder is a great way of doing that. Talk about their superpower, talk about what we think they do brilliantly. Um, but, you know, to stretch you, here's what we need to, to see from you. And, and you know, um, I think that um, how people at, 
and react to feedback is one of the ways that I assess talent. And, and you know, the, the snowflake generation, as it's mm -hmm. called, people say that they don't they don't want to hear any bad news and that you've got to, you've got, you've got to couch everything in, 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 in a positive framework. Mm -hmm. Do you find it's different, you know, managing people from different generations is, 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 is very different? I think you need to be uh, very aware of, of people's level of self-esteem um, because I think um, we're all seeing increasing levels of anxiety in, in the workforce, right? And whether that's, you know, mental health or, um, you know, what we see. I, you know, I know there are various studies out there that, that say that more and more people are more stressed at work and I think um, you know when I think about you know again more, more the, the newer waves of, of employees coming in um, they definitely are hungry for feedback um, but you need to think about you know the ways that you deliver that feedback I suppose something that we've discovered is you know feedback on top of low self-esteem you know can, can lead to people spiraling right it's, 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 it's not a very positive experience and so to be able to give really good constructive feedback, and like you have to give feedback for people to grow, like it's just like a it's a non-negotiable. But really thinking first about what's this underlying, what's this person's underlying, you know, self-esteem, what's their sense of self, um, and I think you need to build that up first, um, and then be able to go into the more constructive types of criticism. I think what our um, what our team look for is they do look for a lot of feedback. They look for a lot of in the moment feedback. And so it's not kind of, I'm sitting in my office and you come in and I tell you what I think you need to be doing. It's you're out with me in the, in the pitch with the customer. You see exactly what I'm doing. And then you're able to give me real authentic, credible feedback on what I'm actually doing. Not some, you know, not some template where we're filling it out and you don't really, you know, you, you haven't really assessed me properly. So I think, you know, they do look for really high quality feedback, which I think is really good, right? Yeah. So if you, if you look at Google and by any metric that you could you could imagine, it's been an incredible success. I mean, you you really made it when you've got a verb, you know, when, when you become a verb. Um, but what has Google maybe not done as well as you would like and think, and think that maybe you need to do better in the future? Are there any areas? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to continue to have um, the ongoing conversation about, about privacy. Right, I think I think that's a huge um, question, uh, a question for you know the whole technology sector, um, um, and you know um, continue to have like a, a, a strategy of you know, just you know, just enough data to offer the service, but not any more than that, right? right. Um, but I think that that's a that's a constant moving target, and so I think we need to be um, show that we what we're doing, be transparent about what we're doing, show that we we're responsible in that area, but continue to listen, continue to work with partners, and continue to see how you know how consumers are feeling about that over the years and, and, and adapt to that. Um, and, and look, I think also you know, like any broad company, we need to um, we need to expand in a way here. For example, even if you think about our footprint here in Dublin, um, that means the local communities or you know can also benefit, right? Um, and if we look at Dublin, I mean, Dublin's a relatively small city compared to some other cities we're based in, and Google has a very big footprint in it. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want, you know, the impact of Google to be, well, you know, Google's here and has loads, employs loads of people and has loads of offices, but you know what, the local community don't really feel the benefit of it. Um, and so that's certainly something that I've tried to put front and centre in the past three years is to really make sure that, you know, we're, we're sharing that, sharing that benefit, sharing that value of Google being based here. And, and that's, um, you know, certainly behind 
um, the work we're doing with Bernardo's in terms of our online safety program and the Google Impact Challenge last year. Um, Tell us about the Impact Challenge, because well, that's something that's very close yeah, to your heart. Yeah, it's, it's a really great program, and we launched it in Dublin last year to coincide with Google Ireland's 15th birthday. And it's the first time that it's been done in a city outside the United States, which we were very proud of. And um, it's part of um, our, our marketing team and our, our Google.org, and um, our philanthropic arm. It's part of the way that they engage with local communities. And really, the idea is that, you know, we, we, you know, one of the best ways that we can give back is is uh, support ideas that are out there in non-profit in the social enterprise sector. And it's not always about Google having all the ideas, right? And we know we have the moonshots and the big bets and all of that. But actually, when it comes to local communities or what cities need, it's often the non-profits or social entrepreneurs in the cities themselves that know what needs to be done. Um, and so it's an impact challenge, this idea where you put a call out for ideas and, you, you know, you bring them in, you assess them, you assess them with a great... And diverse uh, a panel of judges here for Dublin, um, and you know, like a look for life, uh, Dublin Red Crisis, crisis Centre, some of the winners, um, and we really, you know, asked them to, um, we asked them for ideas about how they could improve life and society in Dublin, um, and we got a whole range of ideas across so many different sectors, and um, so it's a really a way of kind of giving back, um, supporting kind of social entrepreneurs and non for profits in the locality and doing it in a way where Google plays the role that it should, right? Sometimes Google just should be the facilitator. Um, and I think that's a very important part of uh, um, of uh, how we think about um, you know our dot org philanthropic efforts. Very good. And one final question because I know other people will want to ask some questions. If you were advising um, a young Fanula Mia now who's leaving Trinity this year uh, in, in European studies and she wanted to develop a career in business. What are the what are the nuggets of advice you give to someone like that? Yeah. Yes, what would I say? Oh my goodness. Um I feel like I just graduated a good you know a few years ago. So you know my um it, it's been it's been a it's been a roller coaster. But I suppose I would say speak up more. Yeah, I, I definitely think that um I think you have to speak up to um and, and lean into opportunities and say yes to things that you know, maybe you don't think you're good at, or you know, it might scare you a little bit. But you know, I do believe in the serendipity and the opportunities coming your way. But you need to open yourself up to those, and you need to put yourself in a situation where people are going to offer 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 things to you. And, and um, to do that, I think you need to um, you need to speak up and find your voice. Find your voice sooner is probably what I would have said to myself. Right. Listen, Fiona or Fanula, it's been fascinating. Listening to you. Thanks, Millie, for coming no on today, and we really appreciate it. Martin. No